Welcome to the second episode of Cold Weather Bats, the only podcast dedicated to amateur baseball around the state of Michigan. Uh, we're excited to have you back for our second week. We're hopeful that we'll be able to go for many more weeks on top of this. I'm Brian Sikowski, one of your hosts. I'm joined, as always, by Brandon Justice for an episode that we're both really excited about, an episode that's very near and dear to both of our hearts, the Downriver episode. Brandon, how are you? Well, I am terrific because today we go grab a shovel and we get in the garden that is Downriver and we go back to our roots and we see uh, and we talk to some people who had some impacts on us uh, prior in life and uh, wow, good episode, loaded episode. Uh, you know, we're talking now after the interview and man, two extremely good interviews. Let's so spend four in a row. It's a pretty good start here to, to episode two. So man. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, such a fantastic interview with Zach Cohn, um, Gibraltar Carlson's own, Central Michigan's own, and now the New York Yankees' own. Um, that was such a fantastic interview. Uh, we're looking forward to you guys hearing that because we had such a great time with him. And then we we blew it up into a roundtable. Uh, we, we, in true downriver fashion, we overcame some adversity on the, the technology side. Um, we got through that and... We were able to, to ask uh, Coach Zalka from Trenton, Coach Farner from Woodhaven, and, and Coach Codner from Wyandotte uh, a bunch of different questions in regards to the, the recruiting process, baseball downriver in general. Uh, we put them on the spot with a couple things, um, got some history lessons from them as well. But yeah, just a, just a fantastic episode this week, and, and I'm excited for the people to hear it. And Brandon, uh, with that being said, let's just both of you and I shut up and... and we're going to take it right to Zach Cohn. Um, so, yeah, next up on uh, Cold Weather Bats Episode 2, Zach Cohn. All right, now we move on to our player interview of the show. We bring on a, a Carlson graduate, Gibraltar Carlson, for Down River Week. Uh, a a soon-to-be, in my opinion, soon-to-be uh, Down River legend, Down River baseball legend. I uh, <laughs> played with it. I met this man when I was, man, I must have been six, seven, maybe eight years old. When I met him, we went on to be a part of the only Brownstown All-Star team to ever win District 7, an unbelievable run full of a ton of talent. Uh, only one of them would go on to play professional baseball. And it is Zach Cohn from the New York Yankees organization, a right-handed pitcher from there, a Central Michigan graduate. Zach, how are you doing, my man? Man, well, after that intro, man, I'm feeling pretty good, ready to get back on the mound and, uh, you know, make myself a legend, honestly. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling good after hearing that, and I'm just really excited to get on and talk to you guys. Zach, we're going to get to the downriver stuff. I, I promise we will. Don't worry. But seeing as you and you and I are both of Chippewa blood um, oh, yeah. in the central Michigan way, uh, we're going to exclude Brandon for a second. And uh, he can hang out over there in Saginaw. You and I will talk Mount Pleasant. I want you to take us through 2019, man. I want you to take us through specifically, like, you guys go down to Starkville as a three seed, beat Miami opening night of that regional, and, and obviously, you know, ended, ended up not winning the regional. But, hey, man, win a regional game as a mid-major, as a three seed, that was such a huge thing for the CMU program. And you closed out that win. So I, I'd love to hear it from you. Take us through that game. Like, what are your favorite moments from that? Um, so, you know, going into that, going into the, going into that regional, I guess, um, you know, we, we really wanted that regional. So it all honestly started on 
selection, whatever it was, it's selection Saturday. I don't even remember. But that night, we kind of was hearing a little bit that we may end up in that Starkville regional. And if we did, we knew that we knew that like that prediction had Miami. And honestly, we were kind of praying for that. So when that came above or when that came about and, you know, they announced our name, we were like, you, you, I mean, look at rewatch the video. We were ready. I mean, there wasn't one guy that was like, oh, crap, you know, we can't do this. We were preparing for that Miami game, but we had all, all eyes on that 7 o'clock start bill, you know, Saturday night game versus them. So, you know, we get there and, uh, you know, we're coming off, you know, 20 wins or 19 wins, whatever it was. And um, we're feeling really good. Um, you know, the whole experience down there was amazing. The fans, you know, um, just the hospitality down there was just something that I'll never probably experience. Yeah, I'll never experience again. Honestly, it was just something that was really breathtaking away. And, um, and it was just a lifetime experience. But, you know, that made us, you know, kind of feel like we were meant to be there, you know. And that Miami team... They had a lot of young talent. They had a lot of big arms, but we trusted ourselves, and we knew that we could bring down an energy, just a total energy that they've never seen before. And if we can hit them with that and, you know, stick with our guns, then, you know, we were going to come out successful. And so that, that whole game, man, we just, we came out with a chip on our shoulder. We really did. And then boom, we got hit in the mouth and, um, you know, we got down, whatever. And then in the dugout, you know, the energy was always, Hey guys, keep the energy up, keep the dugout parties going. You know, we are here for a reason. Like we are good. You know what I mean? Like we haven't lost in 18 games. So we had to keep, you know, reminding that dugout energy kind of just kept us going. And then what do you know? We got two runs on the board, you know, three runs on the board. And then as the game went on, you could kind of just feel it in the dugout, you know, like someone was going to have that big hit, you know, we kept, we kept, putting pressure on the pitcher you know they they um they were putting some guys on and uh we just weren't getting that big hit eventually obviously if you if you know you watch the game we got that big hit and i knew that i was going to be a big part of that you know my coach prepared me and he was telling me you know zach um you know this game gets you know into the later innings you know you're going to be in to shut it down so um he put a lot of faith in me and at that time i my confidence was actually really high and, um, yeah, you know, I just went out and I did my thing and the guys had my back and they had full, you know, confidence and trust in me. And yeah, we went out there, punched them in the mouth and, you know, got to, got to go and play on Saturday in that Starkville regional. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really great time. Now following that once, what feels like once in a lifetime experience for you and, and for your team, uh, and obviously yeah. you being in such a spotlight moment there as well. Now, shortly after, something would happen that would have a far greater impact, maybe in the moment and big picture, getting drafted by the Yankees. Pretty crazy thing to happen shortly after another pretty crazy thing. I'm not going to ask you to rank yeah. those two. That would be far too difficult. But <laughs> shed some light on that process. What led up to then? When did you start to kind of understand, hey, this is going to become really real really soon and just take us through that, that whole process for you? Oh man, I got to think about this, honestly. Like, it's a pretty deep question to me. Um, you know, growing up, my, my goal was always to be a professional baseball player. I mean, that was, since the minute I was born, you know, that was what I was going to do. And, you know, people would ask, you know, do you have a plan B? And that just, that wasn't a thing. Like, I didn't have a plan B. So I get to Central and, um, you know, I, I, was, I was really, you know, proud, of, proud to be a Chippewa, proud to, you know, be a part of that program. And I really just didn't have, you know, a couple of good years there. 
but I knew my junior year, you know, that was the year I wanted to get out and, you know, be a professional baseball player. So I really just, um, just started having fun with the game, I guess. And, um, you know, my career kind of just at the end um, of that junior year, I really had a good year. And then everything started, you know, popping in my head like, okay, Zach, you know, you have two months until the draft and like things are going to get real. But I just need to have fun with the game. And if I do that, then my name's going to get called. I don't care at this point. I don't care what round. All I need to do is get an entry into pro ball. And, you know, that's that. So, you know, I knew I had the talent to do that. And I just had to be myself and have fun out on the mound. And if I did that, then I was going to perform well. And if I performed well, I was going to get picked. And, you know, everything, it would work out for everyone. So, you know, that's just kind of how it went. And then after, you know, I had that Miami game, I was, you know, I was, I was obviously feeling really good about, you know, where I was at. And, um, you know, our team was feeling really good. So, you know, everything was great. And um, so, yeah, I mean, things picked up from there. Name got called as I'm moving out of my apartment in, uh, you know, in Mount Pleasant. Um, I'm sweating my ass off. Name gets called. You know, I get a phone call and, you know, so on and so forth. And it's been pretty crazy, obviously, um, ever since. But, you know, I wouldn't trade how anything happened for the world. Honestly, I've learned a lot. And, you know, yeah, I just got to follow God's plan, man. It's, it's really starting to pay off. Zach, you obviously had a fantastic 2019 season at CMU. You carried that forward into a pretty good, I, I from my perspective, you tell me, into a pretty good first uh, foray into pro ball and rookie ball there. Um, what can you tell us about, like, what did pro ball teach you? What is the first thing that, that happened that made you say, okay, well, this is a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like, this is, I can't just throw it down the middle, you know, or something like that. You know, honestly, it's a little bit different. Um, it, it's in college, you know, guys, most teams have an, a strict approach. And in my league um, that I was in, honestly, like, guys really don't have a certain approach that I noticed. Guys are going out there, you know, in the GCL, and they're trying to hit the ball as hard as they can. Okay, so I did honestly. I get, I you know, you can get away with some um, balls in the dirt, but you got to get ahead. So you know what I mean. And if you get ahead, and um, if you get ahead, you know, in college, say, and you know, you throw a ball, you know, a slider in the dirt. A lot of teams, you know, especially you know, central teams, you know, we would take that pitch, you know, because guys aren't looking that. And pro, you might get a guy still swinging out of his shoes at that. That's what I really noticed a lot in that aspect. Um, but as far as, you know, pitching-wise, you know, I, I took over, um, you know, and I did, I did actually really well in my eyes. Um, I just had fun. I didn't worry about my mechanics at all. I knew it wasn't the right time. So I just trusted my ability, you know, I had at the time. And, um, and yeah, it worked out really well. Um, I had one pretty I, – I, honestly, the one outing where I gave up a few runs, I really didn't pitch that bad. I actually, you know, it was, I had a catcher's interference call and then I had a, um, another, I made a bad pitch, but it was an infield hit, but you know, I battled out of it and, um, I gave up that actually a double, but, um, the double, I'm getting lost right now, but anyway, it wasn't that bad of an outing and, um, and I threw it, but whatever. And I learned from that. And the next time I went out and, you know, I did well. And then that was honestly, that was the end of the season. So I'm trying to think, but man, that was like, that's a year and a half ago, it seems like at this point. And um, yeah, so, but that was that. What has been your main focus on as far as like a developmental improvement through, you've had, you know, when was the last time you pitched in a real game? Like a year and a half, like you said. So what, what's the big focus for you heading into spring training? So 
um, when I left camp in February, I just knew my mechanics weren't where I needed them to be. Um, from starting from the ground up, my lower half just was not not good. My upper half not good. Just everything really was not well. And and so I knew I had about eight months to figure this crap out. And if I could figure it out, then I would never have to worry about mechanics again. And I would just compete my ass off. And when I can just compete and not worry about anything, I'm really good. So I um, took the time and I went down to Florida and I got with Coach Ope. You know, he was my old pitching coach at Central. And we really just worked on getting into my lower half again. I don't know what the hell happened, but I, I just haven't felt like I've used my lower half for the past two years, right? So I go down and that's just the main focus, how to get into my lower half, how to use my hips, um, just get into different positions that are comfortable with me. And um, so I did that and that was the main focus. And then, um, so we were ramping up kind of, and then the season got, you know, the season got shut down. So then I knew then at that point there was going to be no season at all. And then, so I had to stop my throwing. Throwing went from, you know, five, six days a week to three days a week. Well, from those three days a week, you know, I really got to do a lot of weight, weightlifting, um, not as much mechanical work. So, you know, I was only throwing three times a week, but, um, after that, um, it leads me to honestly the last, 20 so weeks man I just take it day by day and as you can see I'm kind of bouncing around but that's how it is like I I know what I have to do each day I go at it and then I go home I watch film if it's you know if I think one thing about my lower ass it's really complicated man but it starts from the ground up and so that's that's kind of where I'm at and I'm really uh really happy where I'm at right now Hey man, it's not complicated. It's just intricate, you know. Like yeah, when you get to, when you get to intricate to explain. Yeah, when you get Correct. to that level, and uh, you find this honestly in coaching when you're working with a kid who's just good, you're like, "What? What can I do here? Like, like what more can I do to help this individual? He is already extremely good, you know. Uh, it happens far more like." As you get older, you don't really deal with that with 14, 15 year olds, but uh, mm-hmm. especially in your case and, and all others playing professional baseball, where it's like you're playing professional baseball. You're, you're in a top yeah. percentile in, in, in your profession and figuring out how to get better. Like for a guy like me who has an average body and might want to learn how to hit a softball harder in, in, in beer league, I can look that up on YouTube. You can't go yeah. on Google and figure out how to become a better professional pitcher. Uh, it's things that you have to, to dedicate to your everyday routine. It's things that you have to be extremely self-sufficient about. It's dedication, it's commitment. It's a lot of the things that nobody ever talks about when it comes to, uh, accomplishments at that level. Everyone knows what it, not everyone knows what it takes to go pro. Like they, they think they do, but then they get in the pros and it's like, okay, how do you be a great pro? And it's, it's as difficult as anything else is. You know, that was, that was a really good way to put it because, you know, I'm trying to explain it to you and it's like, I'm learning, you know, right now, I mean, right before this, you know, I was watching film of something, you know, my coach sent me and I'm trying to learn all these, you know, honestly, these bigger words and, you know, different terminologies. And like, I gotta, he'll, he'll tell, you know, I'll hear it. And then like, I gotta see it though as well. And it's really hard, um, to, to be able to, I guess, for me to interpret that on every day and then say, you know, go out and coach somebody. Like, I don't think I could do that right now. Like I am so invested in just getting better myself day to day that I can't really sit down and be like, okay, well, what the hell just happened? And how can what I learned today help somebody else? Like I couldn't do that. 
if that makes any sense. It makes absolute sense. It's what I, uh, it's what I walk into the doors and I have to ask myself every day. And some days it's a lot easier and some days it's a lot harder, but like anything else yeah. you do, you do it enough. It becomes a little bit, a little bit grueling, but you, you do what you can and you hope that it's fulfilling at the end of the day. Uh, but right. I want to take you back to a little bit of your roots here. We, we, we I mentioned it uh, in our, in our introduction, uh, and I'll tell anybody this that I've known I've known you for for years since we were again since we were like I mean you must have been six I must have been eight or something along those lines yeah very and and I always knew that there was two things about you there were, you were extremely unique you were you were as as much of an individual as you could ever see there's nobody else like you I don't think so I knew from the jump yeah. that that you had a you had a different gear. All right. And when when you ended up getting that absolutely nasty cutter developed in high school, that that was just a pain to watch in the box, uh, but beautiful to watch in the stands. uh, I knew like, all right, he was going to do something really, 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 really cool. And then obviously you go to Central. uh, Now you're at where you're at. I don't think anybody who knows you is surprised. Uh, I know I'm not, but I want to go back to your roots here. Back to back to Zach. I mean, Zach, and yeah. when he was as loose as Zach gets uh, on the mound in a Downriver League game for Carlson, take me back to this. Might take you a second, but take me back to your favorite your favorite high school moment. Your favorite your favorite high school moment on the bump. Yeah, those were some really good times on the mound, and you know, my mind is it's it's really crazy because those those have been you know the times that right now I look back to. And honestly, I have film from high school that I still study off of right now. And um, so I, I, you know, I really cherish those times because those were really some of the best times I've had on the bump. And my best game, you know, if you've talked to Coach Farner right before this. <laughs> I told memory would be, I knew it. Yeah, it would be knocking them off. Um, you know, it was, you know, we knocked Woodhaven off in the semifinals of the district. Um, there's, I don't know, not much more I could say. They were ranked you know, fourth in the fourth in the state, we weren't ranked at all. Um, they're, they're, they're one of their assistant coaches was our hall monitor, which was also our football coach. So, you know, it was, it was a little, you know, rivalry, you know, always in, in school and stuff like that. And, you know, just a lot of talk. So, you know, I just went out there, did my thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really fun game to say the least. So Zach, tell us, uh, tell us about the game, man. Like you knocked them off, but okay. Was it was it because you sh- was it because you dominated, or was it because they scored fifteen? Or like, yeah, give it to me. Uh, we <laughs> Don't out. be humble. I went out. I I I caved the first nine, I think, and it might have been first first six or nine. I don't know. And then I ended up with I think like fifteen fifteen Ks that game. And then um, yeah, we beat them eleven to one. I think there was a dribbler down third baseline. I was pretty pissed. I let that run in really wanted to shut them out but nonetheless you know I went out and yeah like it was just it was amazing man I was just blowing them away they really couldn't do nothing and you know I just felt powerful and it was it's a great feeling <laughs> so no that, that's what happened and yeah that's it was it was a really good time but you know honestly another good time you know I, I'm sure he'll be listening to this at some point would be, you know, in 10th grade when I knocked off Tyler Thorington at Wyandotte. <laughs> um, uh, Brandon, I don't know if you remember that at all. Oh, I do. Uh, me and Tyler, yeah, me and my, me and my uh, one of my best friends, you know, he was dealing, he's at Western Michigan now, 
me and him, you know, we dealed back and forth and um, I eventually, you know, struck him out with the bases loaded and we won. I think it was one nothing. And yep. that was in 10th grade to, you know, go to the district final. And that was a really cool experience, you know, that game and all. And, you know, it was just we were always the underdog. So, you know, those two games really, really stand out to me. You know, those were the two best teams in the league and we got to knock them out. So I was really happy with those. It seems like between Carlson and and at Central and you going to Stark Vegas and getting that, you, you strive the most when you have that underdog mentality, kind of like that, like you were saying, like that chip on your shoulder. Uh, but it's funny yeah. how it's funny how the kid who strives best as an underdog ends up a Yankee. <laughs> how do you, how are yeah. you going to be an underdog with that cap on? Uh, before you, before we before you wrap up here, uh, I was at that game. I was at that Trenton Woodhaven game, and I, I I don't I don't or not Trenton. I'm sorry, at that uh, Woodhaven Carlson game. I'm just so quick to go to that. Uh, I was at that Woodhaven Carlson game, and before show before the show, I told Brian, I think Zach's going to go with the Woodhaven game where he knocked out Woodhaven because I remember being at that game because that's the game where your cutter was insane and that's what accounted for all yeah. those strikeouts i think you you had to throw that cutter at least nine out of 15 times on the it strikeouts was, it was just you know fastball fastball off speed and that was it you know fastball, high school fastball off speed fastball fastball off speed and you know that worked and if they follow the off speed off then i go back to the fastball high and you know I'll see you next guy and so on and so forth so unless you play in the catholic league then it's fast then it's fastball off speed and that's all you need um, oh, you're right. Yeah, only- I know. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, Zach, we really appreciate having you on, man. Obviously, uh, we know each other well, and uh, I will yeah, see you. Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, we will see each yeah. other extremely soon. Um, but one of Down River's finest, uh, your name your name will be known outside of these parts pretty soon here, son. <laughs> Got to keep working, baby. Got to keep working. Thanks for coming, Zach. Welcome back. Uh, we're sorry to disappoint you, but you're going to have to listen to Brandon and I talk now. Uh, this is the segment of Cold Weather Bats where the hosts get to talk. Uh, such a fantastic interview with Zach Cohn. Really excited he was able to join us, uh, taking us through that 2019 CMU season, which ended in a regional in Starkville, including a win over Miami. Uh, we talked to him about his experience with the Yankees thus far, what he's worked on to get better, how he anticipates his sophomore campaign as a professional baseball player going. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna turn our attention a little bit from who throws the ball to who catches the ball. And Brandon, obviously, my co-host is the catching coach at Saginaw Valley, and I work with the catchers at Orchard Lake St. Mary's. Um, and so I, I think it's it's a position and it's a sort of player development specialty that we're both passionate about. And so we decided to dedicate a, a little bit of this segment, at least, to talking about catching. And one of the things that you and I have both talked about, and we texted about it quite a bit, and, and it's kind of seen um, a popularity increase on social media as far as a argumentative point, uh, is catchers who start with one, you know, one leg on the ground or two feet up or, you know, kind of hybrid stances with, with a leg down or however you want to describe it. But we've seen coaches who both of us respect ardently opposed to it ever 
ardently opposed to it unless there's nobody on base, uh, saying that it, it negatively impacts receiving. I know that you and I might have a little bit of different viewpoints on, on it as a whole, but I would just love for us to chat about that for a little while. So Brandon, if, if you don't mind, if you could kind of give us a, a glimpse into your system at, with primetime catching and, and what you do with the guys at Saginaw Valley, just in terms specifically of that whole one leg down, no leg down, two leg down, whatever the dynamic argument is. So it's interesting because it's so simple to, to go to the one knee, but it's interesting because uh, there's a really weird way to say like two feet up. It just sounds odd. Like, oh, do you go two feet up or one knee down? And, and I, I try to just err on the side of do you go traditional or do you go one knee? But uh, it is kind of odd always trying to find a uh, a title for what it is to, to go in the old school kind of squat up two feet up uh, stance. So uh, I would say one misconception out there is that is that I make every single catcher go on one knee. Uh, I do my best to adapt to every catcher I have. So there are catchers I have that are that are two feet up uh, or, or there are some catchers I have that maybe are one knee in their primary and then two feet up in their secondary because they're just not comfortable there yet. So uh, really what goes into the one knee is it has to be a mentality. Um, so when a catcher comes to me and it's, hey, I'm ready to go on the one knee or it's, hey, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I want to go one knee, but I'm not comfortable. Uh, it's always a conversation where I have to ask them basically what what's the most what's the most effective position you can be in to catch block and throw at an efficient rate. Now in the future that answer might be something different than what it is now. But if right now you are going to block, catch and throw at an efficient rate from a traditional stance more so than a one knee stance, then that's what we're going to stick with until we can get you in a point to where you're comfortable enough. And if we experiment with the one knee and it simply does not work, that's okay. That's okay because as many as many as their professional catchers are in one knee right now, uh, there are still plenty that are still too up. Now, uh, as far as the conversation goes and the argument goes of of one knee versus two knee or I'm two feet up again, it's 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 hard to put a label on it. I I, I think it's really about the player. Um, and, and which is so much so the case sometimes in baseball. We always want to chat these hot topics, but sometimes it's like hey, it's really an adaptable thing, a case-by-case thing. But this one's interesting because coaches out there firmly believe that that it should not be even a thought to have a catcher on one knee with runners on base, which is, I know, something you mentioned before. And, and so I'll, I'll speak on that side of things, where one knee, and, one knee with a runner on base. Now, in order for your catcher to be able to go to one knee with a runner on base, he has to have the capability to be able to throw from his knees because at, at that so, so I teach my catchers to be able to get to their feet for a throw, to get to their balance point for a throw with a knee down. Uh, that's a perfect scenario. That's that's a that's a ball that we can get to. That's not a wild pitch. That's not a ball in the dirt. Um, that's not a ball that's too high. That's going to take us off our posture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but if you get a if you call a fastball on the outside inside, no matter what, any kind of fastball that you can trust, it's going to stay inside our window uh, of where we're not having to get rid of our posture behind the plate you have a pretty good chance of throwing the runner out at second on your feet. You can get to your feet quicker. We've, you know, I've ran it through every guy I have, and you can get to your feet quicker from one knee as opposed to two uh, more often than not. Again, there are some kids who are going to be quicker off two feet. I want to make that completely clear. Um, but throwing from one knee, you have to be able to throw on that knee because in the event that that, that perfect pitch doesn't come, 
how are you going to respond? Okay. It has to be instinctive to, to take that ball and rip it down. And the mechanics sort of stay the same. Like we're using that front elbow and we're trying to get that front elbow to kind of manipulate our arm slot so that we're always coming through at that just above the ear mark. Uh, and we're trying to have a consistent release point off the fingertips so that we're always having a straight linear throw, which, which is creating a lot of spin and creating a lot of tight spin so that we can keep that throw from drawing or fading, uh, basically left or right. So we're trying to create the straightest throw possible. Uh, and we can do those things from our knees. We can do those things from our feet. It's all about what he's more comfortable with. So on the argument of should, should a catcher be able to go one knee with runner on base, I firmly believe it's easier to catch from, or I'm sorry, it's easier to block from one knee than it is the two feet. It, it, it really all goes around posture, being able to use your hips to angle the ball, um, really being able to have the mentality that I'm going to get hit is, is a huge part of blocking, whether it's two feet or one knee. Uh, you have to be okay with getting hit because that's your best defense mechanism as a blocker on one knee and two, and two feet. Um, so I think if that guy has that mentality, hey, I'm going to get hit and I'm going to catch this in my chest right in the logo, he could be a great blocker on one knee. He could be a better blocker on one knee. Um, and, and one of the best cases and one of the best examples is obviously JT Romuto. He's a guy who was on two feet in 2018, went one knee in 2019. Uh, runs saved is a big uh, stat these days. We look at how many defensive runs saved, so DRS are what we're looking at. Uh, three categories for, for catching, blocking, throwing, um, and receiving. And when uh, Romuto went from two feet up to one knee down, he had a 44-run dif- differential in receiving one's run. He had z- zero difference, a zero difference in blocking, and he had a four-run uh, advantage when he went to one knee in throwing. So the proof was in the pudding for him. So some of you might say, well, he's a professional catcher, Brandon. I don't deal with professional catchers. We are in uh, Michigan. I don't have MLB catchers on my team. Well, to that I say, I had a high schooler come see me for about two months this summer pretty good don't get me wrong talented kid he'll play he'll play college ball and he was a two feet up guy he had never gone one knee but he wasn't very good behind the, he was good behind the plate but he wasn't great he had some upside but that was about it really it was his bat and his arm talent that stood out for him and um you know he had some he had some talent but he was no, nowhere near what you're you're trying to get at the college level he wasn't college ready so I was like, okay, this kid seems he's a big body kid, like six one. I'm like, okay, this seems like the kid who has the arm talent to throw from one knee. He has the athletic body that will be able to use that burst in those glutes and that burst in those thighs to get from that that knee down to the feet if he needs to. Um, he's got the blocking awareness and uh, the mentality to be hit. So I'm like, this this seems like the perfect kid to transition. So I I told him, hey, I think I think we should transition, and we did. And he ended up playing fall ball for me, and the, he back picked I think four kids from one knee, two from second base, two from first this fall in about in about ten games, eight games. And he had gone one knee about a month before that, and he had only been doing it for for a month. So I think if, if you can pull that off, you really just need the information and um, the, the drills and uh, you, you need the body too. I mean, sometimes it's just not going to work because it's not best for the kid. Um, but if I had to, I'll always defend one knee. I think it's, it's a huge advantage for receiving as we just spoke about. It's, it's something that is a myth as a uh, deterrent towards blocking and receiving or I'm sorry towards blocking and throwing I think it's just more of an advantage as long as you master it but like anything else in baseball it's about the position that you're going to be most efficient in and the one that's going to help you be best not the one that's trendy so if a guy's not good with two feet down or I'm sorry with one knee down then I'm going to keep him with two feet up but if a guy goes in there and clearly shows he can block throw and receive at an efficient rate from one knee then he's going to go one knee
So totally different question, and we didn't talk about this in the intro, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you for a loop here a little bit. Um, obviously, everything that I see from a, a baseball standpoint, from looking at it through the lens of scouting, because that's my profession, looking at it through the lens of, of evaluation. So like when we talk about robot umpires, okay, and the, the ramifications that may have on the catching position, you're kind of talking about doing away with receiving, like as, as far as mattering. You know, you're not stealing strikes against a computer. So then therefore, we as scouts were talking like, okay, well, what does that make the ideal profile then become? And for us, it's all right, guys who can throw it, and then guys who are going to add a bunch of value offensively versus the the more traditional, hey, if you can really defend behind the plate, we don't care if you can hit. I think if we go to robot umps, we're trending the other way because catchers are going to have to be able to hit because it doesn't matter how many strikes you steal when you can't steal any strikes. So if you can throw, if you can move to block, and if you can hit, that feels like the next sort of archetype as far as behind the plate, just from my perspective as an evaluator. So I wanted your take on that. Am I way off? Do you see anything else that I'm missing sort of operating under the assumption that robot umps are going to be a thing eventually? That's my biggest nightmare. Uh, I think of that like um, a apocalypse takeover, because if I don't have receiving in my life, uh, it's not going to be fun. It's just, I think receiving makes catching fun. I think it makes every pitch a competition. I think it makes, um, I think it gives our guys a purpose back there to, cause catching, I mean, Hey man, you gotta be involved in every single pitch, which is fun, but it's, it's grueling and, and it's, um, it's, it's long. You think about guys getting pulled after 78 pitches in the third, fourth inning, like, congratulations, dude, we got to handle like 60, 70 more the rest of this game. And you threw th- six in the dirt in a row so you know we we they get beat up back there and receiving makes it fun it gives it it gives it an every pitch element uh, for us to to manipulate things and, and take that zone and like stretch it out and i think without receiving it's just a part of the game that'll be missed some people think it's some sort of cheat or something like that but i think it's just getting better if you don't like how i receive then hit it so that's that's my mentality now if robot umpires come then robot umpires come and how you scout that profile from that perspective is yeah i think you're right like if i'm if i'm in charge of a team and i'm looking at the the value of a player black and white i'm not somebody who's a catching guy then i'm probably like yeah i'm going to take off it's a very offensive game your your teams are winning games 10 8 9 7 you know teams aren't winning games 2 1 too much in college baseball um unless kumar rocker guy like that's on the bump so yeah it's an offensive game there's power all over and every every successful program has that but every successful program also has a stellar base running system and the job of the catcher is to keep that runner on first there and if it's strike three and it's in the dirt it's to keep that runner on the plate back to the dugout not let him at first the whole job of the catcher is to prevent prevent extra bases uh through through base path entry you know what i'm saying like through through steals through whatever it is obviously we can't prevent if our pitcher's giving up a double unless we're the one calling the ones calling the game uh which again we can only control so much of but the job of the catcher is to prevent runners advancing and even if there are robot umpires sure receiving is taken away but if you put a guy back there who can hit like like the world's on fire but he can't he can't throw a guy out to save his life then i'm just stealing bases all day if i'm a if i'm a college in a college environment when it comes to the pros yeah i mean there's all kinds of guys in the pros i mean mike mike zanino is a catcher for the rays and he was he was 
pretty pretty bad I think in the World Series I mean he blocked all right but receiving wise he, he stunk and he didn't really I don't know if his arm showed anything I can't think of anything off the top of my head where he did much and uh, you see him sticking in there as an offensive catcher so offensive catchers are already kind of starting to trend that way in the pros um, but from a college perspective I think I think even with robot umpires which I know those probably won't come to college anytime soon but even so with in the college game base running wise it's different than the pros so I think you're right I think from an MLB standpoint you're right um but if i'm a coach i'm obviously personally leaning towards getting a catcher that's defensive obviously that's me um but my backing would be that it's his job to prevent runners advancing and robot umpire or not that's still his job and i think that's more important than anything besides probably at this at this juncture besides receiving um that's about the only thing that really trumps that so I'm so I'm with you so much on the receiving man. Like I, you know, we'll get Petrie on the on the podcast eventually, and I think the the guys I've coached at St. Mary's would tell you the same thing. Receiving's always been number one, and it's it was done by choice. I, I've always believed since I've been at St. Mary's that we've had the arms to where we're probably not going to give up a ton of base runners. So my thought was, hey, let's put more concentration in 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 the you know, limited time we have with these guys from a practice perspective, let's put more time and energy into receiving. Let's put more time and energy into stealing strikes in, you know, the strike zone in April in the Catholic League is not small. So let's do the best we can to steal as many of them as we can. Um, so, yeah, so so there was definitely more of an emphasis within St. Mary's placed on receiving versus anything, versus throwing, versus blocking, to a lesser degree, obviously. But yeah, I definitely placed a heavier emphasis on the receiving because I, I felt like the opportunity was there for us to steal more strikes and steal more outs by getting better receiving versus trying to worry about throwing when I didn't think we were just going to, you know, I didn't think our arms were going to give up a ton of base runners. Um, and I still feel that way heading into 2021. Receiving is going to be such a a heavy sort of emphasis in, a, in our player development program at OLSM. Um, but anyways, great discussion, man. With that being said, we're going to we're going to shut up for the folks at home who are listening and are just kind of urging us to get on with it. Uh, and we're going to kick it over to our interview with uh, the Downriver coaches, our little roundtable action. Um, Todd Zalka from Trenton, Corey Farner from Woodhaven and Brian Kotner from Wyandotte. Um, we're going to send you right there right now. Welcome back to Cold Weather Bats uh, for our coaching segment this week in episode two. It is Down River Week, so we had to bring in three of Down River's best uh, coaches and headmans. They've been there for, for quite a long time. Three guys that have essentially built programs uh, and made them what they are today. Uh, joining us today is Todd Zalker from Trenton High School. He spent 30, he's in his 13th year as the head man there with the Trojans. Went to a Final Four in 2019, won a Down River League in 2012 and 2014. Uh, we're also joined by Coach Brian Kotner from Wyandotte, who's got two districts himself along with three league championships. And, of course, Corey Farner. Uh, hard to not have a downriver show without Corey Farner, who has uh, built Woodhaven from a team that didn't have a district title before. He's been there and now has consecutive league championships to go along with a state finalist, a couple regional finalists, and several uh, or a couple uh, district final or championships as well. Guys, mouthful there. You guys have done a lot of good things for the uh, for the area of Downriver. You've done tons of great things for your programs. Uh, today, it being Downriver Week on Cold Weather Bats, it was hard to not bring you on. Two of you guys are my former bosses. Uh, all three of you guys have seen on Diamonds both playing and coaching. We're really happy to have you on. How are you guys doing? 
Good. Good. Thanks good. for having good. me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So to start, we had a question that came from uh, from a fella from Wyandotte that, that uh, some of you guys might know really well, but I won't say any names now. His question really translated to what we wanted to accomplish in this in this. Uh, in this roundtable and just basically just spreading knowledge about uh, the the growth of Downriver Baseball and uh, the talent now coming out of Downriver Baseball. And a lot of people are extremely quick to say, oh, there's just more talent now. Uh, but it has a lot to do with the development. It has a lot to do with the people in charge and everything, as we know, always starts from the top. Uh, each of you have a Division One player on your roster that is committed. So now more than ever, there's an influx of Division One prospects coming out of the Downriver League. What do you think contributes to this? And I'll have each of you pick one thing here, and we'll start with Corey. Uh, I honestly, um, to what you're talking about, on this piece, think you know we've had uh, a lot of pitchers come out of our, our our league here in the last few years, um, and uh, you know. There's a shortstop. He's really so, but I think having pitchers come out, um, they have the ability. Uh, then you develop. They kind of put it in the weight room, and, and, and they develop themselves into what would be a Division One caliber kid. Um, you know, all the kids that I know that are, are Division One committed right now. I know they are working extremely hard in the off season. And they were on the, you know, pandemic and everything with schools. It's really hard to get kids in there to, to do anything. So these kids are having to find some very inventive ways to get this stuff done, um, and they're putting forth the time, the effort, sometimes even the money to do it, and and uh, they're committed to to being the best they can be. So I think just overall, I think it breeds competition within the league, and and I think when you got one kid from one school doing something and. And you got a kid over here who's just talented, kind of sees like, oh man, maybe I need to start doing this and that. Um, it just kind of breeds that competition, and um, you know they, they each get better and, and they you know put forth the effort. And next thing you know, they're they're a Division One caliber kid. Uh, basically, what I'm what I see is I, I see a lot more kids that are are committed to their craft. Um, you know, I like. You know, I like kids playing multiple sports. I think it's good for them to take time off, develop other muscles, um, compete, and do all that stuff. But I think that it's it's important that our student athletes are mindful about you know where where their their future might lie. And I think that uh, baseball for a, for a lot of kids downriver has been an avenue, um, you know, something to look forward to in the future that they can play college. And I just Honestly, the the biggest thing that I've seen the difference in between when I started coaching varsity in 2008 to now is the commitment in the weight room, and um, you know, kids getting in there, getting stronger. You know, I, when I used to work camps at at CMU, I know that you know it was just like you were bringing kids in, and, and you were the only school that was looking at them, and and now um, they can go and, and have multiple schools look at them. They've got video now. There's just there's just so much more um, out there, and the ability for coaches to um, to see kids, I think, is greater. Um, I still like to talk to college coaches and hey, what do you think about this guy? What does he got? This and that. I think that's very very important. I think that's something that's that's a little lost, but you know, uh, all the stuff that's out there right now is is really helping uh, kids get a good look, in my opinion. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of ways to, to be seen nowadays. You know, there's multiple scouting services out there that's uh, really serving uh, everybody in the high school ranks, which is something that as a 2014 graduate myself, we didn't really have those things. You know, those things were just now starting to get popular then or at least pick up their um, pick up the pace at least. So uh, Brian, uh, head coach at Wyandotte, uh, we'll take away here with with his response, and he's got an Xavier commit. And what I should say before I move on is that Micah Ottenbright is the Michigan State signee from Trenton as well, who's joining Ryan in that 2021 class. Uh, Micah getting a lot of national attention as well. Uh, but we'll go to Brian now, who's got Donovan Canterbury, an Xavier commit, and a shortstop who who's uh, held up the middle for for his freshman season. Unfortunately, had to sit out a sophomore season, but we'll see what's in store for his junior year. Uh, Brian, go ahead and let us know what's what's really separated him from the pack. Well, I I think he's just special. He's different. Obviously, he has talent, but there's no one that works harder than him. And we've had D1 players in the past, and there is always a separation. It's a work ethic that is just separate. It's different. It's uh, unique completely to that individual. If you have a team that is full of those individuals, then you're probably going to be successful. And more than likely, it's, it's not going to be, in my experience, it's not going to be just on the field. It's going to be off the field. Uh, academically. Um, but, you know, I think around this area, these uh, these kids are finally getting not only exposure, but there's also a belief from these college coaches that we can get viable players. We can get people that are going to contribute, be leaders uh, in the classroom as well as on the field. And I, I just think it's, a, uh, it's, it's not unique to just one team. It's not, you know, Corey's doing so well, but it's not just Haven, Trenton, Wyand. I mean, Allen Park, there's so many teams that have had D1 players come out of here, and now it seems more like it's a hotbed rather than like, uh, I mean, the best I can use like a 2020 word, like a meme. Like, Del River used to be a detriment if you attach that to a kid. But right now, it's, oh, they're playing some good ball down there. Guys, I I guess I just wanted to ask, do you find – Eh, maybe not that. I want it, I want your opinions on specialization for baseball, first of all. But then beyond that, beyond just your opinion on it, do you find inherent value in that sort of thing as kids get older? I'm not saying, you know, at 12 years old they need to decide they're going to be baseball players. But kind of as they get halfway, three-quarters of the way through high school, if we plan on playing baseball at the highest level or the next level, should we then specialize? Should we then maybe just focus on baseball our senior years? I'd love to hear from you guys on that let's go Corey first we'll go in the same order all right can you hear me yep all right uh yeah so my opinion on this is is it's actually kind of been influenced because I've had kids that um have changed my mind over the years of of what my opinion is on this matter I was a multi-sport athlete growing up myself and um you know and I I would play football baseball and basketball so I, I I know the inherent value of playing multiple sports and, and, and what I can do for you as an athlete. Um, you know, but my opinion kind of going in was by around 10th grade, you know, from most of the studies that I've read, uh, by 10th grade, if you have a future in a certain sport, whether it be baseball or it could be something different, you know, it could be basketball or whatever, um, you know, you may want to start putting a little bit more time into that, that sport um, if you do have a future in it. Um, you know, and I was always, you know, Hey, it's always up to the kid to make that decision. Um, you know, I'm going to support whatever they decide to do. Um, you know, and kind of go from there. Um, and I've had kids do that and it's worked out really, really well for them. They've earned 
you know, scholarships and they've gone on to play, you know, good schools and stuff. Uh, but then I also had, you know, Colin Chakowsky, uh, graduated in 2019. And I mean, this is a kid, if there was ever a reason for a kid to probably specialize, you know, big, tall, lanky, left-handed pitcher, um, who were on people's draft boards. Um, and you're talking a significant amount of money, uh, you know, being talked about, uh, you know, that might, might've been a good situation to do that. And he proved everybody wrong. He wanted to play multiple sports. And, uh, you know, of course, all of us as coaches were kind of holding our breath during football season or basketball season. But to be honest with you, the kid is just, he was such a competitor that, um, I think it really helped him, uh, to play multiple sports throughout his high school career. Um, I don't know if I would have done that, you know, if I was in his shoes, but you know, again, it's his decision and, and it worked out really well for him. Um, he stayed athletic, he stayed competitive, um, and it worked out really, really well. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of go back and forth on it, but I always leave it up to the kid. And, and if the kid definitely has a future in a sport, say baseball, you know, I'll give them some advice uh, on what I think, you know, if they ask for it and what they, what I think they do. But when it all comes down to it, I don't think you can go wrong either way um, at that age. I just don't like to see the specialization and the all year round stuff from kids that are like 12 years old. You know, I just, I don't like that. I see it all too often. My son is 11 going to be 12 here in the next two months and and uh you know he's playing against teams that these kids you know they rarely play other sports and they're they're working out all year round and their travel orgs and stuff and uh, i just don't like seeing that as much um because you just never know how a kid is going to develop you know after 12 13 14 years old you know know, once they hit puberty everything changes in terms of their bodies so you don't know what you're going to get um but once they're in 10th grade and they're 15, 16 years old and they can make uh, their choice for themselves, I think, you know, you try to put all the information out on the table and what their options are and, and they can make the best choice possible for them. And, um, and I would support my players in anything that they choose to do. Coach Kotner. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm very similar to Corey in the, in the, um, you got to take it kid by kid. I have a tough time telling a kid not to play football anymore, not to play a sport that they love. I mean, to because t- in my opinion, you're 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 you're. It, I agree with putting the information out there, but taking something away would be difficult. If I were yep. to say, "Hey, you know what? You shouldn't play football," um, I guarantee that kid will probably take it to heart, and then now that decision has now been uh, attached to me. I was a football, basketball, baseball player, and uh, I got to tell you, there's nothing I love more than the Friday Night Lights. However, I knew where my career was, and it was going to be baseball just because I was better at that sport. But still, those experiences, those com- that camaraderie, it's very tough to, uh, to, to sh- push them away from that. Coach Zalka? Well, it's tough to follow up you know, those two guys, because I think they were both spot on. I mean, I, I played four varsity sports in, in, in high school. I would never, ever tell a kid that they needed to focus in on, on one thing. I think that playing multiple sports is something that, you know, if you look at articles by Pete Carroll, by Urban Meyer, they all, they all talked about looking for guys that played multiple sports and that there was something that they found that was special about those guys. I think it's, I think it's very important. I also think that, you know, you've seen a proliferation of um, arm problems with uh, with kids, and I think that's from from throwing too much. And you know, sometimes it doesn't work work out. And there's buddies, and 
you know, they're during, they're in a down period and they feel the need like they something um, beyond what their body's capable at that particular time, they can end up getting hurt. Or they, they just want to, you know, um, not let people down that are working with them. So um, I think playing multiple sports is important. Now I have uh, a young man, Mike Ottenbright, who last year, um, as well as a sophomore, he was uh, the leading scorer on the basketball team, and last year he decided not to play. And at the time, I didn't think that it was a very good idea. But I've never seen a kid work as hard as I saw him work. And I told him that I thought that at the end of the, the, the year, I thought I said to him, I think that it was a good decision because he put the work in to, to warrant that. Now, in the past, I've had other kids that said, hey, I'm just going to focus on um, this sport or that sport. And I, I didn't think that they put the time or the effort in to warrant that decision so you know there's multiple ways of looking at it and um i think it's just it's just a case-by-case basis but like i said i would i always promote kids to play multiple sports i will start this question off and take it right back to coach Zalka, just because i feel bad it should be kind of like a snake draft which uh, i feel bad for coach cotner it's kind of stuck in the middle there we'll get you we'll get you first next coach but a uh, question that that again came from one of our listeners here uh via the twitter which is everyone's favorite website on this call i would assume uh my qu- the question was, are we educating our young people to do their research to find the most realistic fit for themselves if they wish to play at the next level? Uh, which basically means are kids, in a way, chasing brands, I think, which is kind of like that power five. If I'm not going power five, then what am I really doing stigma, uh, which seems to echo a little bit in my opinion. But I want your guys' opinion on that. Are, are, is there enough research out there for uh, these kids? Or, and are they doing the research, I should say, to to realize? Uh, I really like the word they use there, realistic, uh, for fit. So, Coach Zalko, we'll start with you. Well, I think there was, a, there was a quote that was out a couple weeks ago that somebody said, you know, going and playing college baseball, it doesn't matter what level you play at. It's an opportunity to play the game that you love for four more years. I think that's very important. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with some recruiting right now with, with uh, several of my kids. And, you know, I think that kids really need to, you know, I think everyone wants to play Division One. Um, you know, and then they're like, well, if I'm not, if I, if I, if I'm not D1, then I could play D2. And then they find out that D2 is not that dissimilar from Division I. Um, and then you, you start going down to D3, NAIA, which I think are is a good place for the majority, you know, of our players. I think um, that it's important that that they go out and look on their own. Like if you want to go into business, hey, what schools offer business? What schools have facilities that I like? Try to get on campus and see those. Um, there's a lot of things that recruiting services and showcases and even their high school coaches can't um, can't do for them. And I think that, you know, doing their due diligence and looking at uh, the places that they might want to go, I think that's important. And I don't think that it's just something that has to be done by the, the, the student athlete and their parents and, you know, kind of like narrow down those choices and figure out what, what the best fit is for them. We'll take the question to uh, Coach Cotner next. Yeah, I, I, God, I think the same thing. About, I, every single time I have a kid that is college-worthy, I mean, we're talking about is that, business, is that school, does it have your program of need for academics? 
I mean, unless we're talking about somebody that's possibly getting drafted, more than likely we should probably be focusing on the academic um, and then also what's the staff like. You know, you have to have a great relationship with your staff. Um, and I think sometimes we feel comfort level with the staff, but we just feel like, oh, they might just want us because maybe they're a lower tier. But maybe their system, maybe their um, personalities and you mesh. It doesn't really matter as a pitcher, for example. Let's say it doesn't really matter where you're at. 95 looks like 95. Um, now the competition and, and, and that all comes into play, and that's, you know, that's polish. But arm talent is going to be looking at the same way by the pros if you're interested in doing that. But let's be honest, most people are going to flame out when they go to college. There's very few college ball players that are going to the pros. So what we should be doing is focusing on the academics as well as in the placement. And I really don't think it's just the kids. I think, I think we got to be there to make sure that we're helping them on the decisions. Like, you know, you're, I don't see business here. Why do you want to go there? You got to find a school that like to work off, uh, uh, Todd, you know, we got to find a school that is working with your major. I think that's very important. Brandon, I just wanted want to jump back in there real quick and just say, um, you know, the one thing that, that I, I don't know if I find it comical. It's almost alarming is that if you, if you ask kids how many games that they've seen, college games that they've seen period the numbers usually low and then if you ask them how many games they've seen at either the you know like the, the d3 d2 d3 nai level it's almost it's almost zero yeah i also think that they kids need to go and hey what level might i play at and then go and see some games there and just kind of get a feel for um what that might be like yeah, I think you're absolutely right because I deal with that too. You know, recruiting at the D2 level, a lot of the kids who I'll speak with, they'll almost they'll they're almost shocked when I tell them that we have like four or five arms in the 90s. They're like, "What?" And I'm like, "It's Division Two. We're not we're not talking. It's not like you're playing schoolyard baseball. Like this this isn't this isn't Division One at the at the tip top. But if you look at the nitty gritty of things, it's not far off, if at all." In Metro Detroit, we're pretty good as far as like having the opportunity for kids to see that. You know, like Wayne State's right downtown, Oakland University's in Metro Detroit. You know, like we can get out and see baseball whenever we want to as players. You know, there's really no excuse. I'm with you guys 100%. Go watch a Wayne State game if you think you're too good for D2. All right. Uh, Brian, you can pick it up with another question here. You can just start with Corey. Yeah. I, as to the to the point about, you know, watching D1 baseball and, and kids maybe having realistic expectations for themselves moving on to the next level. Is there something that you guys, and you brought up a great point already, which we just talked about as far as like, go watch the games. But do you think there's other things that we can be doing to help kind of this educational process with kids? Where like, it's not just, hey, go watch Wayne State play, or hey, you're not good enough for D1, here's why, whatever. What can we be doing to help these kids make better decisions, to have more realistic sort of uh, dreams about playing baseball at the next level? Like, what are tangible things that you guys think we can do? Well, I I think the education comes with, let's get our uh, realistic expectations uh, in check. And I don't mean not shoot for the stars, but... To be, I heard Brandon say it earlier, you know, I got to be power five. I got I to do this or I'm not going to accept anything else. 
let's be honest, let's go see the games, but we can also bring in examples. We have constant uh, influx of college ball players coming out of this area. And so we've done it a couple times. We bring back the older kids and not just for alumni games, but you know, they'll come through our, uh, come through maybe an open gym or something and just throw them on the mound for a little bit. Let them see what it's like. See what a D1 looks like. See what a D2 looks like. Oh, that's what a D2 hitter does. And I, I think they come to the realization there's good ball players everywhere. But I think it's, it, it comes down to not just the kids, but also the parents. Sometimes the parents are, you know, they're, they're living dreams. And if we can get these parents involved in the education process, we're probably better off. All right, Corey, you can go ahead. Well, I was kind of, I agree with, uh, with Cotner. You know, I mean, I think the education process should start early and I think it, there should just be a lot of good conversations with parents and, and players, um, you know, specifically if they have goals, not necessarily, um, you know, if you feel like as a coach, they're going to be a college player, you know, their freshman year, a lot of times you may not know that, you know, but I know there's just, there's good baseball at every level. Um, you know, I know some division one schools out there that would just, they would lose in a seven game series to a lot of the NEI schools around here. You know, and, and, and so I think like that division one thing is more of like a reputation type goal. Um, because frankly, I mean, you can get drafted just, just about anywhere. You know, if you can get to that level, um, and develop, you just need to find a place that is a good fit that you're going to be able to, you know, and this is what I tell the kids. I, I want you to pick a school that if you can't play baseball anymore, you'd still want to go there. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes, kids are not necessarily following that they're they're following the d1 tag where i think maybe a better fit would would have been a smaller school um and and it takes you know some trial and error for them to kind of figure that out what we do is you know i network with a lot of coaches so like i try to figure out what coaches at certain levels are looking for you know uh what size kids what the low numbers are they are they checking the boxes on you know, what's their 60 time? Like, what are you looking for, you know, in terms of reaction speed? Like, you know, what, what, what kind of person, what type of grades are you looking for? Um, you know, certain schools, you know, I, I've tried to send a couple kids to Hillsdale and their academic standards are like super high, you know, and it's like kids are just barely missing the cutoff. And, you know, you look at it and you, you got to network with people to figure out like where these kids are going to kind of fit. And then you got to have those conversations with parents and kids and give them that information and say, Hey, you know, this is kind of, you know, where I see him fitting in, but you know, by all means, if you want to send information out, I can help you with that process. But you know, when it comes down to it, I think, I think Brian said it right. Like bringing guys back and just kind of showing them, you know, what these kids are, what they can do and, and whether it's an alumni game or just kind of working out with the team or whatever it is, I think it goes a long way for some of the kids, you know, but I, I even think at that point, some of them think like, oh, well, that's three years down the road for me. I can, I can be at that point. And it probably is, is true to a certain extent, but we all know, you know, we all know kids that, that want to play college baseball. Um, you know, they, they all start off high right, where they want to be and then they kind of get that reality check. And uh, most of them end up, you know, in Division Three NAIA, JUCO. And that's a good fit. It's a good, and a lot of them love their experience when they get there. They just, they didn't know that they needed to give it a shot in the beginning, you know? And I think that's the biggest thing is just as coaches trying to guide them to what they think is going to be a good fit and what you think is going to be a good fit for them. Coach Zalka. 
Well, I think I think the hardest one of the hardest things about coaching high school baseball is helping kids and parents realize what their um, ability level is, where they fit in. And you know, it's almost like sometimes I'll, I'll take the approach of you know, like we do as uh, as we do as parents or as we do as coaches or teachers, you know, where you where you let a kid fail and um, and then you pick them back up. So. In other words, like, hey, what schools do you want me to contact? Okay, uh, I'll send your stuff to these schools. And then, you know, I say to that coach, hey, listen, I just want you to um, give me some realistic feedback. Where do you where do you see this player? Um, what level do you see this player at? And, you know, when they get that feedback, I think that that's a real eye-opener. And then, But I also think that it helps drive future conversations. And, you know, we can help guide them you know, in the right direction because picking a, picking a college is, is tough. And then, you know, helping kids realize what level they fall in, you know, that, that can be another daunting task. And, um, you know, I think sometimes you, you hear, you talk about this whole conversation that we're having, we're talking about kids that a lot of times we're, we're only coaching for like three months out of the year. Um, and it's almost sounding like, you know, like it's a, like it's a cop and we have them all year, you know, so um, that that can be a because you're not always in, in in constant contact with them, especially you know the past year up through this year, you know, minimal because we're not doing uh we're not doing uh, workouts, we're not formans, so it's uh it's made things a little bit difficult. Now. In honor of this, and those are all great answers, fellas, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you guys. I knew our, our Downriver fellas would take care of uh, all agreeable answers, with, with myself at least, and I'm sure Brian's on board there. Uh, to wrap this up, I couldn't think of anything better, uh, and it's going to be putting you guys in the spot a little bit, but every year the Downriver League is... Uh, it's quite the it's quite the cage match. It's a a team with two, three, four losses can sometimes win it, depending on how crazy the middle of the league gets. So to wrap this up, we've had quite the interesting episode. A couple uh, drop calls like Sprint in two thousand six, and uh, you know just living life, letting twenty twenty get to us, rolling through the punches, doing what we do best. So to wrap this up, I got to ask you guys something, and we'll start with Coach Cotner here. I need you guys to pick somebody to win the league, and it can't be your team. This is going to be interesting. Brian, you can kick it off. I got to say, I mean, usually I have a pretty good idea, but I mean, we're two years out. We're not even, weren't even allowed to play last year. Um, gosh. Uh, I, I got I to gotta go with Trenton. I know, I know what they have on the mound. Anytime you can throw that kid out there every third, fourth time, and, and who knows how, you know, once a week in the league, it's a... Uh, it gets, the, it gets the kids motivated, you know, and I got to believe they have some other players there too, uh, pitchers-wise, that are, are going to be difficult as well. And I think it always starts with pitching. And I know they're always going to pick up the ball. So, um, you might win a low-run game, but, I, you know, Todd always finds some ways to score some runs too. So, I, I got to say Todd's the leader here with Trent. Yes, Todd is Downriver's favorite run manufacturer. Todd, we'll go right to you. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Melvin Dell. Melvin Dell, <laughs> <laughs> wild card. No, I Whoa. think honestly you have to you have to pick Woodhaven um, until until they uh, I think they've won it 
maybe three years in a row, and until somebody has uh, a team that's good enough to knock them off, I think I think you got to give them the nod, especially with you know I know they've got two really good pitchers and they've got some other really uh, good players too. So, um, and I know I know how good of a coach uh, Corey is. So I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give Woodhaven the nod. All right, Corey, you got to finish us off here. Our, our league has got a lot of good coaches in it. So I think any given year, um, it always has some sort of like a bunch at the top and it takes until like the last week or so. Um, you know, and I know with Todd's team, he's got Micah and, and that kid is just really, really good. And, and, uh, and I know with, uh, Cotner's team, you know, they're always going to play well. They're going to put pressure on you. Uh, they got the Canterbury kid who's really, really good. Um, you know, and we got other schools in our in our league too. You know, that could just pick it and they could hit. And so, if I had to pick somebody this year, I would say that it would. You know, I know Todd had graduated some guys. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Cotner. I don't say Cotner's got a good chance. I think his his team coming back will be all right. He's got a really good kid at shortstop. You want to be strong up the middle, and I think he's got that going for him. So, I think his team's got a, a good chance. I know uh, Brian. Brian takes compliments really well, so I'm sure he's smiling ear to ear right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I do not. He might take you to dinner when all these things open up. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that was uh, that was as as daunting as an as a round table gets we had for those at home who are not hearing anything that happened in between the beginning and end of this interview there was about seven drop calls i ran out of skype credits had to buy more skype credits call everyone back but before all of those calls dropped at once there was about seven individual drops in between uh there was some cell phone drops there was some service that was in and out it was as downriver as a downriver coaching round table gets and i couldn't think of it to be any more fitting than exactly what it was uh of the three on this board i'm a, I'm a downriver kid anyone who knows me knows i'm a downriver kid and uh, i played i think Corey. i think you came in either my senior year or right after my senior year but regardless these three through playing and coaching have had a great impact uh on what i've you know tried to do coaching wise uh specifically brian and todd both two of my former bosses obviously played under todd as well uh, all three guys i look up to all three guys doing fantastic things for our, our our area and our league uh the down river league that continues to ascend guys i wish you the best of luck this season i'm excited for this season that seems like it's going to happen especially after that latest uh that latest news that broke the other day uh, i hope that i get to come out and see you guys i hope that hopefully one day i get to recruit one of your players and that we get to all get together someday soon and do this round table in person thanks for coming on i appreciate you guys and until next time thank you thanks brandon All right, and just like that, we wrap up episode two of Cold Weather Bats. I know I speak for Brian when I say thank you for tuning in uh, to another episode. We had over something around 250 unique plays in that first episode, which is just nothing of what we expected, but the the outpouring support both privately and on Twitter was just great. Uh, We will continue to deliver a show that is meant for our Michigan people our Michigan baseball people that have have not had this coverage in years past. We're happy to be here now uh, and and hopefully for for quite a long time. You can follow Brian on Twitter at B underscore Sikowski underscore PG. 
You can follow myself at coach underscore be justice and you can follow the podcast, which has some pretty cool videos, if I may say so myself, at cold weather bats. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in and we can't wait to see you next Tuesday. Have a great Christmas and enjoy the week.